0: Hey, good morning, y'all. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. That was kind of weak, but good morning. Um, good morning. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's much, 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 much better. You know, Richard's, all this basketball stuff, we're a football part of the country. We're not a basketball part of the country. So I, but I, I get it to some degree. I just was always like the short kid that had no ups. So I played football, not basketball. And we're going to get to some football in a little while, actually. But you noticed when you walked. It, by the way, my name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I am one of the pastors on the sta- on our staff at Church on the Trail. I am thankful that you're here, watching online or, or here, you know, physically here with us. You noticed when you got here that you had one of these in your in your seat when you sat. I hope you noticed. If you didn't notice, that's a whole other kind of set of problems. But here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to take, unless you have a peanut allergy or a chocolate allergy or something, don't do this. But I want you to take it out. Everybody take one out. I want you to open up the end best you can. Carefully ease it out a little bit. Smell it a little bit. (laughs) Look at it a little bit. Just imagine how How it's going to taste. Like there's nothing like a Reese's cup. Who remembers the old commercials? Somebody got chocolate in my peanut butter. Anybody remember those old commercials? So I mean there's just nothing like a Reese's cup. You can just like it smells so good. You just know it's going to taste so good. It looks so good. It's pleasing to the eyes. It's pleasing to your, to your smell. And you know that when you taste it, it's going to be pleasing to your taste. Now I want you to put it back in the package. Put it back in the package. Some of you probably aren't. Raise your hand if before we even started, before the music was over, had you already eaten it. See, y'all are all proving my point. This message is on temptation today. So I want you to put it back in there, and I won't want you to eat it until after you leave Guadalajara or El Carrizo, or wherever it is you people go to, to lunch after church. You know, years ago, y'all, you know, let me say this, though. Some of you already proved my point I said, but raise your hand if, if you just felt the temptation. Now, there's nothing evil, necessarily, but if you just felt the temptation to, to eat that Reese Cup, thou shalt not eat Reese Cups. <laughs> That's like the 11th commandment. It was on the third stone tablet that Moses dropped on the way down the mountain or something. Thou shalt not hashtag Reese Cup resistance or something. I don't know. Anyway, y'all, thou shalt not. I heard. I heard that happened as well. I heard that happen. Wives stealing Reese Cups from husbands. Y'all, years ago, years and years ago, and and I don't remember which one it was, but one of our kids had climbed up on the chair in our kitchen and was eating cookies. Now, my wife makes some killer chocolate chip cookies, and now we make sourdough chocolate chip cookies, (laughs) because we're like this sourdough champion, sourdough cooker person. Like yesterday, it was two loaves of sourdough bread, two sourdough cinnamon rings, sourdough crackers. What else was it? It was all day long, so now we have sourdough chocolate chip cookies. But anyway, one of our kids, huh? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So one of our kids up on the counter, and he's, he's eating these chocolate chip cookies. And Susan had told him not to eat them uh, a little bit earlier in the day and that we would have them after dinner. And then all of a sudden, surprising him, she walks back in the kitchen, and he's, I don't know how old, six, five, six, seven years old. And he's, we have these little stools, and he's up on the stool, and he's up on the counter. And guilty is sin, y'all crumbs and chocolate chips just like all over his face and you know when you're busted you're busted and he turns and looks at her She said I told what are you doing I told you not to eat those chocolate chip cookies and he says "Mama, you just like you just don't you don't understand mama like I somehow I just ended up up here and my teeth got stuck <laughs> y'all it's temptation like it is temptation and we've been walking through the book of Acts Several months now. Today and for the next six weeks, today and five more weeks leading up to Easter, we're gonna we're gonna uh, because we we tend to preach and teach through books of the Bible verse by verse. But we're gonna take a break for six weeks, and we're gonna walk through <coughs> this series, a new series called From the Ashes. We're gonna go today through Easter. This series will culminate um, with Easter, and you know our lives, your life, my life can often feel like a just a big disappointing bucket of ashes because we always we can feel broken we can feel shattered we can feel wadded up and thrown away we can feel destroyed raise your hand if you just ever felt that way I mean I know that I know that I have felt that way but you wait a minute Because the good news of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection is that we can experience new life. We can experience resurrected life. And our lives, your life and my life, no matter how jacked up, totally jacked up they may have been before, we are never irredeemable. Never irredeemable. And In other words, you and I are never, ever broken beyond repair, which flies in the face often of the way we feel. We feel like we're irredeemable. We feel like we're busted and broken beyond. There's nothing that could fix it. But the good news of the, uh, of the life, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ is that you are never broken beyond repair. That is a lie, and that is a lie that's been foisted upon mankind For thousands and thousands of years. Listen, in and through Christ, we can all rise above the ashes and experience the abundant life that is promised in Scripture. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, His words, He said, The thief comes only to do what? To steal, to kill, to destroy, to make you feel rotten and unworthy and he said but he says i came that they may have life and not just life but have life and have it abundantly each week as we walk through this series for the next 6 weeks we're going to look at a different aspect of christ's life we're going to look at a different aspect of his life and his ministry as he walks the the first century dusty roads of israel and we're going to dive in to what can we learn from each different little bucket, each different little aspect of his life. And we're going to start this week with a conversation about temptation. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this, but just as Jesus' ministry, his public ministry is launched, in fact right before it was launched, he experienced this 40-day period. This 40-day period, which is a long time. Fasted, didn't eat, 40 days of temptation. And I'm gonna guess that resisting the Reese cups a minute ago in your seat, I'm gonna guess that it was difficult. Matter of fact, I gotta get this one out of my sight. <laughs> 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 but I'm gonna guess, though, really and truly, that that it is difficult. Because I know it's sitting there, it's calling out your name, so resisting it is difficult. But can you imagine a, a prolonged Season of that—a prolonged period of just persistent, incessant temptation. Forty days of that kind of temptation, and as a bonus, as a, as a bogo, if you will, the one that's overseeing the temptation is the devil himself. I can't even get my brain to a place where, where to even consider what that must have have been like. But that is the exact scenario that Jesus Christ overcame. So I want us to start out, uh, start out today. Look at this season of Jesus's life and and how we can learn from it, and how we can be encouraged by the grit of our Savior. There's another little hashtag, Savior Grit, because it's what he had. He had grit, and we're going to look and see how we can how we can learn from that, and how we can apply that to our lives. And this is in the gospel of matthew in chapter 4 first book of the new testament bible says then jesus was led up by the spirit who led him into the desert the holy spirit led him into the desert lots of people y'all you, you if you re, try to remember back you think the devil led him up no the devil did not lead him the holy spirit led him so he's being led into the wilderness with a purpose. He's not being led into the wilderness, wilderness purposeless. And it's not the devil that is leading him. The devil tempts him. But it's the Holy Spirit that leads him into the wilderness. And, and the last part of this verse says, to be tempted by the devil. So he was tempted. And I've heard all these debates all the time. You may ask, well, was he, was he really tempted? Because you know he couldn't sin. Didn't sin. So was he, was he really tempted? Well, verse one says that he was, so I'm gonna roll with that he was. Now, can I fully explain how the the temptor's temptation was real if the temptee was the sinless son of God? No, I can't. I, I can't fully explain that. But scripture says that he was, so he was. Whether I can fully explain that or not. The idea that he was. man. And of course, he was 100% God. Another thing that is not really fully explainable. He wasn't 50-50, he wasn't 60-40, 70-30. He was 100% man. He was 100% God. But I believe and I feel like that that his manness would kind of be in jeopardy if he wasn't tempted like me. How could he empathize with me and my temptation, and you, and your temptation, if he wasn't tempted the way that we are tempted. Does that make sense to y'all? Well, he was tempted. And And he overcame it. And if he hadn't overcome it, how could he be a model for us? So the first thing that I think that we learn here from this experience that he had in the wilderness is that if he was tempted, and he was, then you and I ought to expect it. Don't don't, don't be surprised somehow by it. We should expect it. It does us no good. This is on the cover of your worship guide. Raise your hand if you don't have a worship guide because we want to get one into your hand. So it does me and you no good to pretend like we're immune, somehow immune from temptation. We are not. We've got to acknowledge that temptation, thank you. That it is to be expected, y'all. Expect it. It is part of the deal. It is part of every human being's journey and walk through life. Each and every day. It's every day. And temptation, hear this now. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. It is not a sin to be tempted. If it was a sin to be tempted, then Jesus sinned. Because he was tempted. Does that make sense? Are y'all awake? Okay. You're eating Reese's. I hear you. I hear you. Temptation in and of itself, y'all, is not sin. No one is immune from the desire to have things or to do things that don't line up with God's ways. No one is immune from that. It shows up, temptation does, in in all kind of different ways, in all kind of different forms, and often it, it seems just innocent enough. Sneaking in like some Instagram time at work while you're on the clock. Shaving a couple of bucks off your tax return. Spending just a little extra minute or two with that guy or with that girl in the, in the break room at work. You know, I've been clean for six years. Six years, but just one little hit, that's not going to be a big deal. I know I was drunk for 25 years, I've been clean for 6 or 7 years, but one, one beer, I can handle one beer. One, one beer is not going to be a big deal. Y'all, in the eyes of many people, those things, they don't seem like huge problems. But the temptation that undergirds that, the temptation that that's behind those actions, can grow into cataclysmic problems. Amen. They can. Amen is right. They can. They can lead to things that probably every single person in this room would agree are devastating. Broken marriages, ruined relationships between a a mother and a father and a child or a a parent or, or your best friend or just ruined relationships. Careers that just end up in the tank. Ministries that shut down. The list would go on and on and on and on. And at the core of all of that is succumbing to this temptation and probably denying that the temptation is even real. It does us no good to think or to believe or buy this lie that we are immune, that we can handle. Part of that lie is that, well, you can just handle it on your own. I, I, I'm good enough. I'm good. I'm strong enough to deal with it myself. I can stay walking in the light by myself, even when the darkness is everywhere attacking me. That's a lie. That's a lie. John in... Uh, First John writes this about, the, about walking in the light. Starts in verse 8 of 1 of, of John 1. Says, if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins. Think about that. If we confess the sin, pony it up, he is faithful, he is trustworthy. He is just and he will forgive the sin. The the forgiveness of that sin cleanses us from unrighteousness, John writes. Verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him that says that a liar and his word isn't in us. So today I want us to start off by just confessing and just acknowledging that we all deal with temptation in our lives and that there are in fact times... When we follow that temptation down a path that is not Christ-honoring, that is not consistent with the Word of God, that is not consistent with our profession of faith, that is not consistent with the cit- the heavenly citizenship that we have as a Christ follower, do you get that? Like, if you if you are a Christ follower, you are a citizen of heaven. And sometimes we follow the temptation down the road. And it doesn't honor any of those things. Well, that begs the question then, how do we handle all that? How do we manage the temptation? How do we respond, maybe even better question, how do we respond to it? If we know it's coming, what is it that we do in response to it? How do we model the grit and the endurance and the strength that our Savior had? First thing, I believe, is that it begins with our identity. It begins with our identity. I want us to look at an event that happened right before Jesus uh, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, which is Matthew 4. I want us to look at something that happened in Matthew chapter 3. And crazy enough, we spoke a little bit about this last week in Matthew chapter 3. <clears throat> but it starts in verse 13. The Bible says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. This is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And John, it says, John would have prevented him saying, you want me to baptize you? You you, you need to be baptizing me. But Jesus said to him, let's get this done. You know, let it be so. He says, because this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And John consented to do it. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he comes up out of the water. And behold, the Bible says, and behold, the heavens were opened up to him. And he saw. And listen, it doesn't just say the heavens were opened. It says the heavens were opened up to him. And 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 it goes on. And it says, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved Son, with whom I, whom I am well pleased." And y'all, Jesus is Jesus baptism. Incredibly significant moment for lots and lots of reasons. But I want us to laser focus on verse 17 when God says, Father says, this is my son. This is my son, is what he says. God doesn't say, good, now go and fulfill your earthly destiny. God, he doesn't say, this is my son, look out Satan, look out demons, he's coming after you. He doesn't say that. True as that that is, that's not what he says. In that moment... He just really simply, y'all, he just simply says, this is my son. And we know that he loves him, and we know that he is pleased with him. This is Jesus of Nazareth's identity. You understand that? This is his identity. The Father says, this is my son. He is a beloved son of God Almighty. This is such a powerful reality That when Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, this is the very first thing that Satan jumps all over. It's the very first thing that Satan attempts to call into question. The first thing he tries to manipulate. He tries to tempt Jesus out of his identity. He tries to tempt Jesus out of his position. Look what he says in verse 3. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God command these stones to become loaves of bread for Jesus the tempter said if you are the son of God for even the garden what was it he what what did the tempter say did God really say what is the voice because we all have them what is the voice in your head sometimes saying to you about your life what what is that what is that voice sometimes saying if you were really a Christian you wouldn't Whatever. If you really loved God, blah blah blah. Well, if you were more like so and so, or if you were really saved, then you wouldn't be suffering with whatever it is. For me, it plays out sometimes, and I, I may or may not have talked about this up here, but for me, it sometimes plays out on late on Saturday nights. And when I first got into ministry, it happened every single Saturday night. Like every Saturday night. It doesn't happen as much anymore. Scripture calls it evening wolves. The evening wolves came haunting my head when I was laying in the bed at probably midnight on Saturday night. Susan's asleep. I'm staring at the ceiling. And for me, um, message prep, I guess you would say. It's about 25 to 30 hours a week probably. A lot of scripture time, a lot of study time, you know, a lot of prayer time, 25, 30 hours probably a week. And then every now and again, on on a Saturday night late, the evening wolves come howling. And this little whisper in my ear, super gently, that message stinks. You need to give them what they want. They want to feel good about themselves. You need you need to change that message. Don't nobody want to hear about no Leviticus 13. Right? They don't want to hear about that junk. They want to feel good about what they did last night. So talk to them about that. That little voice would say, if you if you're really called to shepherd a church, blah, blah, blah. If you're really called to preach and teach the word, then so-and-so. It really bothered me bad at first. It caused me to question myself. It caused me to doubt myself. It caused me to doubt God. It caused me to question whether I was really discerning the voice of the Lord and where he wanted to, to lead us in the messages. It really tempted me to veer off the trail sometimes. But it doesn't do that to me anymore because you know what I did? I opened up the Word of God and I turned to 2 Timothy. And, he, and here's what the Word says. If for my situation, this is what the Word says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's Paul writing to Timothy, a young, newish pastor, about how to shepherd and how, and how to lead a, a body. Paul writes this. And I literally did this when the when I would start hearing that and start feeling that. I grabbed the word of God. Who can fight better for me? Me or God? Well, okay, so I'm going to turn to his word. And he says this. It's, it's, this is not on the screen, I don't think, anywhere. Yeah. Second Timothy chapter 4, he says, I charge Paul talking to Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, And then he says, Timothy, my son, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And then I told Satan to go somewhere else. And you know what? The Word works. The Word works. And we're going to see that modeled out in the Savior here in a minute. Fight him with the Word of God. And the questions are probably different for each one of us because we're all different. But the motive is always the same. The devil is so predictable, y'all. The motive is always the same, and it's to get me and you doubting our identity. It's, It's to get me and you doubting who God is and what he says about us. We have got to remember who we are and whose we are, not just who we are. This is not all about me and you. It's about him. So whose are we? We sang a song this morning. First song, I think, Child of Love. Lyrics say, nothing can change the way you love me. I belong to you. We got to know whose we are. When the devil says you're a terrible husband, and he will. When the devil says you're a terrible wife, a terrible mother, a terrible father, you think you're a preacher. You ain't no preacher. You think you're good at what you do. You're terrible at what you do. When he says all that, you you know, he, he says, if you were really a believer, you wouldn't just fill the blank in, y'all. But Jesus jumps in and says, no, 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 no. You are a, a beloved child of the one true king. That is your identity. My identity is not as a pastor. Are you kidding? My identity is a, is as a child of God, first and foremost. And you may be the the greatest real estate agent in the world. You may be the greatest insurance guy in the world. You may be the greatest soldier in the world. You may be the greatest mother that ever walked. But that is not your identity. If you are a believer, your identity is a child of the king. Please get that. So hopefully, did you hear my voice? Just changed. Hopefully you, you, I'm like 13, you get that temptation is something to be expected. We all realize, and if you you didn't before, please do now, that throwing darts at your identity has been his strategy forever. Forever. So I want us to look at three different areas where Jesus was tempted by the devil out in that Judean wilderness. Back up to verse 2. It says, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was hungry, and he didn't do a gluten fast. Y'all, he didn't do a Facebook fast. He didn't say, I'm not going to eat sugar for for 40 days. He fasted. He didn't eat anything, nothing. That's what a fast is, 40 days. Y'all, I was told there's no math, but that's about six weeks. 40 days he fasted. The Bible says he was hungry. Verse 3 says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered him. He, Jesus answered the devil with Scripture. From Deuteronomy 8, he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was hungry. You ever been hungry? Raise your hand if you've ever been hungry. We've all been hungry. Have you ever not eaten for 40 days? Ray, keep your hand up. Probably not. Scripture says in verse 2, he was hungry. I'm going with that he was hungry. Don't say, he was God, he didn't get hungry. Scripture says he was hungry. Hadn't eaten in 40 days. Could he have turned the rocks into bread? Absolutely. Would you and I have turned the rocks into bread? I'd have turned it into some Longhorn steak dinner <laughs> in a second after probably two days. So aside from cheeseburgers and Chick-fil-A, what is this passage about? What what's the underlying need that Satan is trying to manipulate? It is the need that he had, and the need that you and I have is a need for provision. It's a need for provision. In Jesus' case, it was food. But it's also finances and clothes and a roof over our head and, and, a, and transportation and medical care and so forth. And all of these things. And these are needs. We've got to look to the Lord as the provider. The Lord is the provider. Abraham, Genesis 22, he's on the verge of sacrificing his son Isaac. Put yourself in those shoes. And when I say he was on the verge I mean the knife was in the air in his hand and Isaac is laying there about to get smittened, right? The knife is in the air. The Lord provided a ram at the last minute to sacrifice instead. And Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh. That means the Lord who provides. There are a lot of names in Scripture for the Lord. Lots of different names. And they all describe him. That's the... That's the Hebrew mind. That's an ancient Hebrew mind. That's the way they they, named, they gave him different names based on what he did. But he always provided. So Jehovah Jireh is a huge name for the Lord in Scripture. He provides. Don't let the devil deceive you into believing that God won't provide. He will provide. Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes to the church at Philippi. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours, not half the needs, He says, every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus' words in chapter 6. He says, look at the birds. Look at the birds. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather stuff up and put it up in barns. But the Heavenly Father feeds them. And how much more worthy are you than the bird? The bird don't worry about it, but the Lord feeds them. Psalm 23. Beautiful language in verse 1 of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I'm not going to want for anything. If he's not my shepherd, maybe I do. But if he's my shepherd, then I'm not going to want for anything. A good shepherd will always provide for the needs of the flock. A good father will always, always provide for the needs of his children. And you and I, we got, if you're a follower, a Christ follower, we've got the best shepherd ever. We've got a good, good father, and we can trust him, and we can trust his word, and we can trust his promises, and we can trust that every need we have will be met. Jehovah Jireh. Like, lock that into your mind. The Lord will provide, and the struggle is real. We struggle against the physical desires of the flesh. But as we struggle with that, we we all really need to to be reminded that the only provision that we really ever need comes from the grace-filled hands of the Savior. He can be trusted. Trust Him. Trust His Word. He provides life. Not the food, not the car, not the house, not the clothes. None of that. Jehovah-Jireh provides what we need. Look at verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, Now the devil is quoting some scripture back at Jesus. You think the devil knows the Bible? He absolutely knows the Bible. So he's throwing some scripture at Jesus, as if Jesus don't know what it says. So he says, the devil says, throw yourself down. He'll command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And then Jesus said to him, I, "You give me that Bible, I got some for you. He says, as it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not. So the second temptation seems to be kind of focused on Uh, uh, On inviting Jesus to test pops, to test the father's protection of his son. The second temptation is focused on our need for protection, which is a legit need. And he's, that's what he's focusing on. And he's like, he's saying to him, certainly, certainly, Jesus, if you are God's son, he'll want to keep you out of harm's way. So throw yourself on down, and an angel army will swoop in and, and, and catch you. But Jesus had confidence, and he had, he had confidence in the care and the concern of his well-being that his father had. So he saw no need to do such a foolish thing. In fact, Jesus brings up a super important principle, and that is that we should not test God in that way. You want to test gravity? Go stand up on top of a building and jump and say, well, God, if you love me, you'll catch me. No, gravity works like God created gravity. Don't do that, right? Does that make sense? So, so, uh, so we saw no need to, to do that. We don't need to test the Lord in that way. Satan's quoting Psalm 91, that he will command his angels, blah, 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 from Psalm 91. But he's quoting it wildly out of context, wildly out of context. He's making it sound, or trying to make it sound, as though God protects us even through sin by removing the, the, the natural consequences of sinful acts. Because many, many sinful acts have natural consequences, do they not? Neither jumping off a roof in a public display or or jumping in order to test the Father's promises, neither one of those would have been part of the Father's will for His Son. In context, Psalm 91 promises God's protection. Read it. Jot it down. Psalm 91. It promises God's protection For those who, while being in his will and while serving him, find themselves in danger. If we are in his will and we are serving him and we find ourselves in danger, he will will guard you and he will protect you. It doesn't promise protection for artificially self-created crises. That is not what Psalm 91 does. That's not the promise that the Lord makes. So, of course, Jesus could have jumped from the temple. Of course he could have. And, of course, God could have sent angels to bring him safely to the ground, but for Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of this this temple really would have been a a ridiculous test of the Lord's power, and it would have been outside of God's will. Jesus knew that his Father would protect him, but he also understood that everything that he did, everything that he said, every action that he took needed to be laser-focused on fulfilling the Father's will fulfilling the Father's mission, fulfilling the task that He came for. And if me and you are honest, there are lots of times where we feel tempted to do dumb stuff. Put me in the front of the line, y'all. Tempted to do dumb stuff because we know how good God is. We know that He is a God of, of grace, and, he, and, he, and he is, He's so good. And that he will protect us. And that we have this thought that he he can shield us from the consequences. He can put back the pieces together of bad decisions. So yes, we know he will protect. Yes, he can work all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his what? According to his purpose. According to his will. He does work all things together for good for those that love him. And that are called according to His purpose. Yes, He is omnipotent. That just means all-powerful. And nothing can derail His what? Nothing can derail His will. Nothing. But that's not a license for us to act like fools. That's real simple. Yes, grace. Yes, the goodness of God. Yes, He loves you. Yes, He will protect us as His children. Yes, he will provide for us as his children. But don't take that as a license to act like an idiot because that is not what scripture says. Sometimes meaning you just, we got to say no. We got to say no to the voice of temptation that's in our head. And if you're in a hairy situation, open up the word of God. Open up the Bible app on your phone. Call a trusted Christian brother or sister. Do something to get your mind and your eyes and maybe your heart off of whatever it is. And the very best thing is to focus on His Word and what His Word says. Create a distraction. I'm just giving you real world stuff. In the midst of the temptation, open the Bible app up on your phone. Hit the floor and pray. Just hit the floor and pray. Verse 8. Again, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world. Now, think about this. He takes him up on this mountain, and somehow or the other, and I don't understand how, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. So Jesus is standing there, and he's showing him all the kingdoms in the entire world. And they're glorious, right? That's what Scripture says. And he said to him, the devil said to Jesus, I give you all of it. You can have it all. You can have it all right now. All you got to do is fall down and worship me. Jesus said, get on out of here, dirtbag. He says, for it's written. Jumps back into Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came down and are ministering. To him. So, this third temptation, this third final temptation, it, de- it deals with our need for position or for power or for status or, uh, I don't know what I put in the blank position, status, power, control. So, what he tells him is, Jesus, you be the boss of the whole world. Now, does he know that he's already going to be the boss of the whole world? I say yes, he does. But what the devil is doing is saying, we can do it right now. You can have it all. Right now, that's the temptation. Take it right now, right now, right then and there without carrying out your father's plan. Without the suffering of the cross. Without taking on the sin of the world. Because Satan is defeated already. And so the temptation is to get Jesus to, to forego all of that stuff. That So for him, that meant obtaining his his promised dominion over the world but without experiencing the suffering and the death on the cross think about that Jesus knows what's coming Was he a 100% man? Yes, he was. Did he feel pain? Yes. He knew the cross was coming. He knew the beating, the merciless hours and hours of beating. Do you think it hurt physically? Yeah. So the devil is saying, you ain't got to do all that. You can, you, can, you, you can just forego all of that. He promises him a painless shortcut. Y'all, sin always offers a shortcut. It always promises a painless shortcut, and yet it never, ever, ever delivers on that promise ever, ever delivers on the promise. And so the problem for the devil is Jesus ain't buying none of that garbage that the the devil is selling. Satan didn't quite understand that the suffering and the death were a part of the Father's plan that Jesus had chosen willingly to obey. He willingly went to the cross. He willingly suffered hours and hours of physical pain and then took on all the sin that would ever be committed by every human that would ever live. Willingly. You think that was a real temptation? I think that was the greatest temptation of all in the desert because the the devil's just saying, just skip all that. Let's just fast-forward past that, and you can have it all right now. So worship the devil or don't worship the devil, which seems like an easy enough choice. Really, seems like a super easy choice, but for many people, the temptation for position or status or power or control, that is an overwhelming temptation. It happens all the time would mean you are given this choice to worship something or somebody other than God in order to get ahead or in order for some earthly gain or some earthly reward. But the reward that comes from worshiping an idol of any kind is fleeting. Sometimes fleeting, no always, always fleeting. It's always temporary and it never, ever, ever, ever delivers on the promise that it makes. Never. I would suggest that you consider choosing to worship God alone and trust in the reward that can only come from a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. And you got to know that as a beloved child of the one true king, as a beloved child of the Lord, you will inherit an eternal kingdom. And the eternal kingdom that you will inherit can never be shaken. It can never be moved. It can never be messed with. It can never be destroyed. It can never be crushed. And I think oftentimes as believers we look past that kind of reality. We get distracted by some worldly gain, some earthly gain. And the the truth is it's usually tied around material stuff, money or fame or just stuff but the truth is the best is yet to come your eternal position you realize that's what happens when you're saved theologically your position changes you were lost over here in this quadrant and boom your position changes and, and you're looked at differently from the Lord he looks at you and over here He sees all the filth and the garbage and the sin and everything. And then over here, when I'm saved, he looks at me and he sees Jesus. Think about that. I'm bathed in a white robe of righteousness. I ain't righteous because I'm still me underneath. But Jesus is around me and covering me up. And so my position changes. And that eternal position is way more awesomer than anything the world would ever, even if the world could deliver on the promise. That is better than that. But the truth is the world can't deliver on the promise. It never does because sin is a liar. It always has been and it always will be. So when you're feeling tempted in that area, and that's a huge temptation, keep things in perspective. Matthew, again, chapter 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So the devil offers Jesus the whole world if you'll just bow down to me. Today he offers me and you the whole world by trying to entice us with materialism, with sex, with with power, with Fictitious control. He entices us. He knows your weaknesses too. He knows my weaknesses. And your weaknesses are different than mine. But he's not omniscient. Omniscience is, is, is God is omniscient. It means he knows everything. God knows what's in your mind. He knows what's in your heart. The devil don't. Don't give him more credit than he's due. He's not all powerful. And he's not omniscient. And he cannot read your mind. He cannot read your mind, but he can see what you do. He can see what you do. He can check your tendencies. We all have tendencies, and he can see what we do, and we tend to be predictable people. So he watches what we do and how we talk and how we act. He watches your tendencies. Y'all, it's like football. I told you we were going to talk about some football it's like football I watched a lot of game film in my life coaches and players watch game film constantly little rewind button coaches love when you mess up to rewind 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 but what you're looking at when you're watching game film is you're looking for tendencies this is an offensive lineman for Michigan he actually was an all-american offensive lineman i got his left hand i think yeah I got his left hand circled. That's all American. But when all five of his fingers are on the ground, he's blocking outside. If you don't know what that means, if you follow that line at the top, it means he's he's going outside to block the defensive end in, and the running play goes outside. Every single time he does it, all five fingers on the ground. But when his pinky comes up, and he's only got four fingers on the ground, he blocks inside and the runner the running back is running a, a behind his left hip inside every time it's tendencies tendencies when you look when coaches look for tendencies they're looking for weaknesses weaknesses you know what I'm talking about that's what you're doing with game film the devil is looking at the game film if you're 37 years old if you're 47 years old you got 37 or 47 years of game film He's been watching you. He checks the tendencies and he's going to find the weakness and that's where the temptation is going to be. This, this is your playbook. This is the playbook. Open it up and quote it back at him. It's what Jesus did. He threw it right back in his face. He will attack your weaknesses. With temptation, so expect it. He will attack your identity, primary place that he attacks. Expect the attacks to come in in areas of of provision, in areas of protection, in areas of position or status or or power. Because he wants you to believe a lie. And he wants you to believe this lie that life is short, get all that you can. Christian leaders find themselves tempted to build earthly kind of kingdoms, but Satan requires that those kind of things be paid for by selling you him, his, uh, t- selling him your soul. Resist the temptation, y'all, the same way that Jesus did. If you find yourself, no, when you find yourself tempted, something that the world is offering, quote Jesus' words, He said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Dude, write it with a sharpie on your arm. Tattoo it on your arm. Something. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus hit him with scripture every time. The word of God is powerful. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 4, verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 4. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Y'all, how do we respond to this today? We're going to walk for the next six weeks. And for the next six weeks, I I really, I want you to dig into the Word every day. Y'all, we saw Casting Crowns Friday night. Raise your hand if you were at that concert. It was the bomb. The one thing that I noticed that was so encouraging And so edifying, and I don't know the lead singer for Casting Crown's name. Mark? Okay, Mark Hall. He's so focused on the Word of God. He talked about it the whole time. In between songs, he's talking about the Word of God. They have the scripture references on the screen for every song as they're playing the song. The Word. Dig into the Word every day. Make it a habit. It will transform your life. Read a proverb every day. Jump into a Bible reading plan. Jump into a into a, a Bible study, a growth group. We got tons of them around here. Start in Matthew. Read two or three chapters a day. Before Easter, you'll have the gospels kind of read through. Maybe scratch your evening TV time for the word. Maybe get up 30 minutes early for the word. Maybe you could read the word uh with your husband or with your wife or with your friend or with your brother or whatever maybe you could do that over a meal maybe you could think of some other creative way that you can have you some Jesus time every day during the week make no mistake the tempter ain't taking the six weeks off between the day and Easter he ain't taking them off and he definitely doesn't want your faith and your knowledge of the Lord to grow in response to the word Here's what we know. You can take this whole message and sum it up with this. If scripture was sufficient for Jesus, then it is sufficient for me. If it was the battle plan for him, then it is the battle plan for me. Throw it at him. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Y'all a good shepherd shepherds his flock you're not in his flock. He's not your shepherd. The promises in scripture are promises for his children, and you're not a son or a daughter unless you're a son or a daughter. So if you've never if you've never said yes to that offer, don't go to bed tonight. Don't let your head hit the pillow tonight without considering the offer that he makes. The offer, think about it offered to be a son or a daughter of the creator of the universe like why would anybody say no to that i don't get it i just don't get it other than it's just pridefulness that's the only thing i can figure that's a response to the message today if you're a christ follower today already praise the lord amen hallelujah let the response for you today be Every day from now to Easter, I'm diving into his word. Every day. Trust me. Your life will change if you do that. If you can lower the lights. Um. So if you are not a believer today, if you're not a Christian today, I just want you to hear these words. Repeat them to yourself. If you want to make him the leader and forgiver of your life, repeat them. I invite you to the cross if you want to come down to the cross let today be the day that I become your son or your daughter Lord I repent of my sin I turn away from it I acknowledge that it's real and I acknowledge Lord that the temptation is real but I'm turning away from it and I'm turning towards you and Lord I believe you died on the cross that, 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 that took care that took care of, of my, my debt it took care of the bill that I owed for that Lord, I know and I trust and I believe that you walked out of the grave alive three days later to seal that deal. Lord, save me right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, y'all, if that happened to you, let us know. Let us know on a connection card. Turn it into the connection desk. We've got a, our prayer team back here in the corner that they would love to pray with you. I would love to talk to you. Um, but if y'all would, stand up and, uh, and let's worship the Lord.